Do you guys know what a word cloud is? So it's this image, this collection of words that all comes from the same source, and it shows the frequency that those words are used. So the bigger they are, the more bold they are. It shows how often those words are used. Uh, for example, uh, have a word cloud here for the book of Hebrews uh, that we're going to throw up uh, in possibly... There we go. Perfect. So in the book of Hebrews, this shows us uh, the frequency that words are used throughout the book. And so the more big, uh, the, the bigger they are, the more bold they are, it shows uh, how much more often they appear within the book of Hebrews. So we look at this and we could see God is the most used word in the book of Hebrews. Who would have thought? But it also shows us that faith and priest and maid and, and a few of these other words are, are used very often throughout the book of Hebrews. I remember uh, word clouds being all the rage that in seminary, uh, some of my, my classmates and I, we would take our papers that we wrote and we threw them in word cloud generators to see which words we use the most often. And our big takeaway from this is that we needed better hobbies. Uh, but if you were to look at a word cloud for the study that I was going through this past week on this passage, Hebrews 5, 11 through 6, 12, the word that would be the most bold, the biggest, uh, the most used word about this passage would be the word challenging. And we led with it from the beginning to show what we're looking at this uh, what we're looking at in this passage, because it is such a difficult passage. Uh, people uh, write entire books on these few verses. Denominations have been started. Churches have split because people landing on this differently. People who are otherwise friendly with one another act in very unfriendly ways over differences in this passage. And we'll talk about the different ways that, that it can be read and interpreted, because one of the things about here is you don't have to have a certain way of reading this passage in order to be a part of Calvary Bible Church. We just had 10 people in our membership class this past week, and nowhere was this brought up of saying, you must sign an agreement with how I understand this passage to be a member here. Uh, we just got to celebrate Dana and Antoinette getting baptized, and so excited for that. Uh, I don't think, did we ask you about this passage before we allowed you to get baptized? I don't think it came up. Yeah, there, there isn't a set way of landing on this. We can differ on these things, and that is a good thing. That is a good thing where we can strengthen each other uh, in, in our differences here. It doesn't mean that we have to be separate. In fact, we can still be in the same room. We can still be worshiping. We can still be serving alongside each other. We can still love each other despite differences on things like this. And a big part of that is we all land in the same place. Even those who read this differently, we all see the purpose of this as being the same. We've been going throughout the, this book of Hebrews. Last week, we had this beautiful phrase of how we can come before the throne of grace. We can go into God's presence with confidence because of the work that, of Jesus. He has done it all. He has paid it all so that we can be saved, so that we can be with God. And next week's passage is all about the assurance that we can have in our faith. And now here we, we have the same thing as well. Let me read for us chapter 6, verse 11. It says, And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the, same, uh, to have the full assurance of hope until the end. 
The point of this passage is to show us this, this confidence, this assurance that we can have. And so while we may differ, while there's warnings, while there's very forceful and strong language throughout this passage, the purpose of this is so that we can have the full assurance of hope because of our Jesus. We've been walking through the book of Hebrews, which is all about how Jesus is greater than anything else we might try to fill our lives with. And this is a great warning for us because we have it in us to fill our lives with anything but Jesus, to find something or, or status or purpose or uh, possession, title, whatever it may be, we can find more, uh, we seek to find fulfillment and purpose from that rather than Jesus. And the example has been given to us is Israel in the Old Testament. And we see all that God had done for them. He rescued them from slavery. He was bringing them to a land that would be their own. He was providing for them every step of the way. He was caring for them in an incredible way. And they saw all that God was doing. And they rebelled. They hardened their hearts. They, uh, they uh, did not, uh, although they looked like God's people, they were around God's people, they proved that they were in fact not part of God's people and how they responded to him. And this example keeps being brought up because we who are in a church, are we like them? Are we experiencing the blessings of God and trusting in them? Or are we still trying to find fulfillment elsewhere? The warning is there for us as well. And now we hear about it again in this most extreme of passages throughout the book of Hebrews. I think about it like this. Uh, like many people, I spent uh, part of the summer of uh, when I was 16, uh, 15 years old taking driver's ed classes. So some people get to have a class for it and, and you actually use school hours. I had to wake up early in this time that was clearly meant for sleeping in. And, and the worst part about it is most of it was common sense. Was it really worth my focus or my attention? Like, couldn't I just kind of figure this out on my own? And then we watched a movie towards the end of Driver's Ed, a movie called Red Asphalt. Uh, and some of you might know what that is. If you don't, Red Asphalt is a series of movies that show the result of fatal car accidents. The idea is to put this in front of teenagers so that they don't have the same results. So pay attention to what you're hearing in this class, otherwise this could be you. I took a lot more notes after watching that movie. Hebrews 5, 11 through 6, 12 is sort of like the red asphalt of the Bible. It shows the result of not taking seriously what we have been taught. Jesus is God on high. He is made low. He became like us in every way. He died the death that should have been ours. He paid the price that should have been ours. He gives us access to God. But we hear as well what happens if we don't take seriously that message, that truth that's been given to us. But it's more than a scare tactic. It's more than turn to Jesus or else. It has with it this encouragement that because of that same Jesus, we can have the full assurance of hope. It's not turn to him or else, but it's turn to him because of all that he's done. So throughout this passage, we're going to keep coming back to that encouragement because this is what I think this passage is about. It's encouragement for the immature in the face of danger. I'll give that to us again. Encouragement for the immature, immature of faith, 
in the face of danger. We've been talking a lot about that encouragement piece. We keep coming back to it. We've already read it. We're going to end with that encouragement piece as well. I really want to overemphasize that's the point of this passage. But how were the audience of the book of Hebrews immature in faith? What was the reason why they were called this? Well, look at chapter 5, verse 11 here. Chapter 5, verse 11. It says, About this we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. It's a great compliment to give someone. (laughs) So remember, the the context here is we're talking about Jesus as a high priest, and it's going to be something that we talk through chapter 10. And now it says, we have much more to say about this, and the author proves this by writing three more chapters on the subject, but says, uh, we have much more to say, but we can't because you are still needing the basics. You are still acting in ways that we see uh, new Christians act. So we can't move on to these greater things because you're still acting in this immature way. The author describes them as infants, that while they want to give them the solid food, this greater message, they're still living on milk. They're not ready for it yet. And this image, uh, this immaturity should be jarring to us. Part of it, like, none of us want to be called immature. When we talked about that, like, like maybe it was like, oh, okay, so this is someone else that's being talked about. But these are people in the church. These are people who have been part of a church for a while. It, it's as if we see someone who grew up in the church. They're a 40-year member at Calvary, and they're sitting here in the front row wearing huggies. Like, that should be how jarring this image is to us. You infants, you milk drinkers, you were meant to be leaders at this point, but you still need people to lead you. See, like an infant, you're not contributing to the growth and care of this church. You are, are meant to be having these, these more substantial things, but like an infant, you still need to be spoon-fed everything. You're meant to be obeying, to, to not be dull of hearing, but like an infant, you're not doing what you're told. So the summary of this, how are they acting immature in the faith? They're not listening to the Word of God. They're not doing the constant practice of faith. It might have been a little bit they were obeying, but it's not the constancy of it. It might have been that they've shown a good start, but it's not continuing with it. And so they're acting like children, immature in the faith. And the obvious answer, it's the solution to that is to grow to maturity. Look at uh, uh, chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. It says, Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God and obstruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. So it says to leave these elementary things, to not relay the foundation again. And it gives us a few of these examples. And we might read through that list and think, wait, wait, I have to have those things mastered? Like, what are these washings? I don't know what that is. Like the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment, I'm supposed to know what that means. I still have a lot of questions about that. It may sound like when we read a biography from from way in the past and we hear about that at four years old, they were fluent in English, French, and Latin. And then thinking like, wow, I was still eating mud at four. (laughs) Teen. So what is it that's being talked about here? Well, again, it's important to remember the flow of thought. Talking about Jesus' high priest. We wish we could say more, but you're like milk drinkers, so we can't. You're still going back to these things, these things, these dead works, 
what you're trying to do to earn salvation before Jesus. These washings, which in the Old Covenant, it was these ceremonial washings to become clean, the laying on of hands. This is how a, a priest was given the authority to be a priest. So we hear a lot of language of the Old Covenant throughout this. Now again, we started Hebrews with, and many times, in many ways, God spoke. And one of the ways he spoke is through that Old Covenant, with how he said people were to relate to him. So it's not evil, it's not sinful what's happening here, but there's more that we have. It says, do not lay again the foundation. Foundations are vitally important, but you don't need to keep building the same foundation over and over again. We can build off of it, and we can do that because Jesus is greater. And if we keep coming back to this old system, we are missing the goodness of Jesus who has come. We're missing this person by continuing to come back to these things. So it's not mastering a topic, but it's, it's not going back to what their lives were like before Jesus. And this is our pull as well. Now, we might not feel the temptation to go back to the Old Covenant, because, and I'm making a guess here, uh, none of us were under the Old Covenant, uh, but we might have it in us to feel a pull back to what our lives were like before Jesus. As we said, we have it in us to find our purpose and fulfillment in other things. We have it in us to think that we know what's better for us than what God does. We have it in us to think that we can be the God of our own lives. We have it in us to find our purpose and fulfillment anywhere else than Jesus. And what the passage says is that is such an immature position. It should be as jarring to us as trying to live solely as milk. It should be as, as jarring as us as sitting here wearing a diaper as an adult. That's the image that's given. Now, it's one thing to be immature as a child. You don't say stop acting like a baby to a baby. But as people following after Jesus, of growing in the faith, it's not only silly to think about that image of someone wearing a diaper, but it's dangerous. It's dangerous to stay, in that, to stay in that spot of immaturity. And this is where we get to the bulk of the passage. Look at chapter 6, verse 4. It says, For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers in the age to come, and to then have fallen away, Remember, it is impossible to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God for their own harm and holding him to contempt. Now, I know that Tom Cruise's character, Ethan Hunt, is doing damage to this word every time that he successfully completes a mission that's supposed to be impossible. But we all know what this word means. It cannot happen there is no chance. It is impossible to restore someone who has fallen away. And this is where the difficulty comes. What does that mean? What does that mean that someone has fallen away? Who is being talked to here? And this is where uh, we might have a word, a, a heading in this section of our Bible. If yours is like mine, it says, warning against apostasy. And this word apostasy might be a little bit strange to us. Well, apostasy, apostasy is a moving away. That's literally what it means. So you are in a spot and you move away from it. 
In our passage, it is a falling away. From where you were, you are now in some place totally different. What does that mean? Well, there's three main ways of reading this passage. The first looks at this and says these are genuine Christians who have lost their salvation. And they come to this, uh, this reading comes to this conclusion by, by saying, uh, look at these descriptions. It's someone who has uh, been enlightened. They have tasted the heavenly gift, tasted the goodness of the word of God, the powers of the age to come, and they've shared in the Holy Spirit, sharing in the Holy Spirit. That sounds like a Christian. And it's absolutely right. A genuine Christian, someone who has been saved, has done all of these things. So the conclusion is, since this describes a Christian, it is describing that someone can be saved by Jesus and lose that salvation. That's one reading. Another reading does something similar. They look at all these descriptions and say, yeah, these describe what a genuine Christian is. But they look elsewhere in the Bible, and there's passages that seem to say that someone cannot lose their salvation. And so what's happening here in this reading is that it's a genuine warning to Christians but it's something that will never actually happen. So you look in the Old Testament, God says, I will destroy this city or I will uh, bring uh, a judgment on this people. And then he doesn't do those things. It is a warning that's given to spur on action. So a genuine warning to Christians, but something that cannot happen to them actually. So it's red asphalt. It's a very vivid picture of what would happen, but you are saved from it. So red asphalt, but this will never actually happen to you. And after all, doesn't Jesus take the wheel? So it makes sense. Third way to read this is that these are not genuine Christians. And if it sounds like it's describing a Christian, well, that's kind of the point. I mean, if it looks like a duck and quacks like a duck and swims like a duck and smells like a duck but it's powered by a small motor, well, then it's not a duck. It may look like it to the outside, but it's not actually a duck. The examples here would be Israel that we've been talking about, that there are people who look like they were part of God's people, but they never actually were. Or Judas, he was a disciple of Jesus. He looked every bit the part of following him, but he proved to not be so. So the idea here is that while it sounds like someone who is a Christian, is actually describing someone who's part of the Christian community, but proves to have never been so because they do not trust and believe in this Jesus. A couple different ways that we can read this passage. And I have come across brothers and sisters in Christ that I land differently on this, and I still can and need to and should love those people in Christ. I think we are missing this as a church, not necessarily here, but across the board, that we keep elevating positions to be absolutes to us, that if we disagree on these places, we have to disagree on everything. And this is one small example of that. And I think that's not right. We have one hill to die on, and it's Golgotha, and someone already died there for us. At risk of that, I am going to share where I land on this passage. And part of that is I don't know how to deal with the rest of it without being informed here. It feels kind of bait and switchy of like, uh, this is what some might say, and it just won't work out for anyone. So I am going to share where I land. And that might be different from where you land, and I think that's good. 
that's a way for us to sharpen each other rather than going away and sharpening weapons. There's more that unites us in Jesus than separates us. And I think that we are more united in this passage because we will both come to the conclusion of the hope that comes at the end. I do not think this passage is describing genuine Christians. I do not think that it's saying that someone who is truly saved by Jesus can lose that salvation. And to show that, I want to look at this passage. I want to look at the book of Hebrews as a whole. I want to look elsewhere in Scripture and then bring in a little bit of theology. Now, that sounds like a lot, but I'm going to do it quick, so don't even worry about it. So in this passage, we said these things describe a Christian. Absolutely. No one will deny that. A Christian has done all these things. They have tasted the heavenly gift. They have shared in the Holy Spirit. But these aren't the usual phrases that we get. The one that's most significant, I think, is shared in the Holy Spirit. Don't Christians share in the Holy Spirit and only then? Only then? But this is different than the phrases that we normally get, like filled with the Spirit or sealed with the Spirit. Instead, what this sounds like is someone who has experienced it, seen all the blessings of the Spirit, who has, who has seen God's work on, dis, on display, but said no to that. And we've been learning about this throughout the book of Hebrews. Israel has been the example of this. They have seen all of God's work in their lives. He has been caring for them every step of the way, but they, do not, uh, but they show that they are not actually part of God's people. I mean, look at uh, Hebrews 4.2, which we read earlier. Uh, it says, For good news came to us, the recipients uh, of the book of Hebrews and the author, uh, just as to them, the Israelites. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. So it's the same message that's given. So some hear it and believe. Some hear the same message, all the same things that Christians are receiving, but do not unite it with faith. doesn't say they had faith and then they lost it. It said at receiving the message, they did not unite to it faith. And this example has been given throughout of, uh, that helps us answer this question, can we be saved and then lose that salvation? Look at uh, chapter 3, verse, um, I forgot which one I wanted to do. Uh, verse 6, chapter 3, verse 6. It said, But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house. We are God's people, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Uh, similar language, uh, jump over to 3.14. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. So this idea that's being given to us is those who are trusting in Jesus, those who are truly saved by him, those who believe that he has done all that he, uh, for us to be saved, demonstrate that by persevering to the end. Those who believe persevere. And I think we find this idea throughout the New Testament that those who believe persevere. And there's a variety of verses that we could do, and there's a few that are really cool, but we definitely do not have time for them. So I, I just want to go to three that I'll, I'll read quickly for us. Uh, Philippians 1.6, John 10.8, and 1 John 2.9. So uh, this is what they say. So Philippians 1.6 says, uh, He, so God, who began a good work in you, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So the work that was began will be completed. 
John 10, 8, this is Jesus speaking. He says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hands. No one would include yourself, whether if you can lose your salvation, you cannot snatch yourself out of Jesus' hand. And then 1 John 2, 9, they went out from us, those who were part of the Christian community. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might be plain, plain that they were not, that they all are not of us. And there's a lot of repeated phrase there, but this is what I see is going on. There are some who were part of the Christian community who, who demonstrated that they were not uh, fully trusting in Jesus, fully saved, uh, truly saved by him because they left, they fell away. Not that they had faith and lost it, but that they never had it to begin with. And then theologically, I think we see this as well. We've been talking this whole time about how Jesus has done it all. He paid it all for us to be saved. Can I lose my salvation? Well, he never gained it. If the idea is that God saves, but we have to maintain our salvation, well, that will fall apart. In the same way that there is nothing that we can do to earn our salvation, there is nothing that we can do to maintain our salvation. So if it was possible for us to lose our faith, every single one of us would. There's a lot here. And let me try to rescue this by talking about why this matters. I think that this helps us understand what's meant in this passage. It is impossible to restore someone who falls away. And what I think this means in my reading of the passage is those who look like they're part of the Christian community but demonstrate that they're not who don't trust in Jesus, who don't fully put their faith in him, well, it's impossible for them to be saved because there's no other source of salvation. If Jesus is rejected, well, there's no other place to go to be saved. I really like this quote from a commentator I read named George Guthrie. He says, uh, repentance in this part of the passage, uh, passage is impossible because there's nowhere else to go for repentance once one, once one has rejected Christ. The apostate, in effect, has turned his or her back on the only means available for forgiveness before God. So we read a passage like this. We hear these descriptions, and we hear of a falling away from faith, and we might ask ourselves, is this me? What if I accidentally did something to be like this? Man, I, I feel like I'm just living on milk. I feel like I keep making the mistakes over and over again. I feel like I, I put my hope and fulfillment at times in things other than Jesus. Is there a point where I go too far and I can't be saved? Is this repentance for me impossible? Or what about someone that we know? A friend who we grew up in the church with, who seemed like they were on fire for Jesus, whatever that means. But now they're deconstructing their faith, whatever that means but they want nothing to do with God. What about a son or daughter? What about a grandchild? What about a friend who is putting their hope, their fulfillment, their purpose in anything other than Jesus? Is there no hope for them? This is where we get chapter 6, verse 9. It says, though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope 
until the end. What a change of tone. We had you milk drinkers. It's impossible to restore someone to faith. And now we have here, beloved. It's such a beautiful word. I hope we hear how special that is. It's this word that means a dear friend, someone I care so much about. We have this tremendous warning, calling them dull of hearing, accusing them of being immature, living solely on milk. The warning that those who are not truly putting their trust in Jesus alone will demonstrate that they are not truly part of his people. That's a massive warning. But then we get this really affectionate phrase, this most affectionate of phrases in this most difficult of passages. As the word beloved is used for the one and only time in the book of Hebrews. Just as the audience needed a calm and loving word, they got it. And we get the same. Because then the author talks about what they're doing well. They're, they're serving, they're, they're caring for other people. And then it, it gets to this passage that we've read a couple times now to use that same energy, the same efforts that you're putting elsewhere of pursuing after this Jesus in all earnestness to have the full assurance of hope. Now, hope's another word that we might use differently. This isn't, man, I hope the Avs win the Stanley Cup this year, or I hope people keep bringing me pumpkin pies. It's not that at all. <clears throat> it's not looking at the future with uncertainty. It is being rooted in a certain future because of Jesus, because of who Jesus is, because of what he's done, because he has been so good to me, because he has paid it all, I can have hope. I can have certainty that the future will be more of the same because of Jesus. So there's hope for those who are struggling, that while I have it in me to find my purpose and fulfillment in anything other than Jesus, that while I have it in me to hear the promises and blessings of Jesus and forget about them not five minutes later, that while I hear of other people growing after Jesus and I feel no closer to him than I was years ago, I have hope because I can turn to Jesus still and he can fill me to follow after him. There's hope to grow in maturity. That while we've been in the church or in a life group or in uh, Bible studies, that I still feel like I have to keep learning the basics over and over again that uh, I have been following after Jesus for a while, but I still feel like I make the same mistakes. There's hope that we can turn to this Jesus and wait patiently on him who is working in us. And there's hope for the prodigal, those who looked like they were close to Jesus but are now far off. Because nothing that is said or thought or done or believed means that we are impossible to be saved. We read it earlier in Hebrews that as long as it's called today, there's an offer to enter into his rest for all people. It's why we celebrate baptisms. It's the reminder to all of us that we were far off, but we have been brought close by this God who gives us hope. This is a tremendous warning passage. 
there is some forceful language that is hard to understand. People fight and bicker over it. But the warnings here have been piling up. As we said, I hope the frequency of them causes us to see the seriousness of the topic. It causes us to look inward and see, are we truly trusting in this Jesus? Because there are those who look like they're part of the people of God, but show that they're not part of the people of God. There are those who look like they're following after him, but are actually following after anything else. There are those who have heard the blessings and promises, but demonstrate that they are not trusting in them. And those who look for a savior anywhere else will walk away worse because of that. But we do not have to try to find a savior because one has already been given. Jesus, who has done it all, all so that we can have purpose, all so that we can have fulfillment, all so that we can have access to God, all so that we can have hope. Let me pray for us. Father, it's a tough passage. It's one that that causes us to ask questions that we don't like asking. It's one that causes us to wonder about people in our life, wonder about our lives. But it's one that is given to us to drive us closer to you. As we see more of who you are, as we see more of what you've done, we turn to you because you are continuing to work. It's a passage of warning, and we have a part of us that wants to avoid the negative result that is to come. But it's not just a turn or else. It is a turn because. Because of what you have done. Because you have paid it all. Because you have come and been made low, we have access to God. And we have assurance. We can trust that what you've said will come to pass because of what you have already said that has. We can trust that what you say you do, you will do because of what you have already done. So help us to grow closer to you. That while we have highs and lows of following after you, that we can always turn to this Jesus who gives us hope. So it's to you and you alone we pray. Amen.